about the theme, when the time comes to say goodbye. Many of us are familiar with saying goodbye to family and friends as we part ways, part company. Maybe we've been on, ex on an extended vacation with one another. Maybe we've been spending time together during the holidays. It comes time for us to part ways. Well, we can understand that and we can appreciate those kinds of circumstances. And typically we know that if it be the Lord's will, we'll have the opportunity to meet back again and to renew our friendships and old times. But then there is another area of life when we have to say goodbye. And that is when we come to the end of our physical sojourn here on planet Earth. I have a friend of mine that lost a friend many years ago. And this individual was telling me that when his close friend was dying of cancer, that that friend said, I've got to go. The response was, don't go, don't leave me. And the dying friend said, I've got to go. Both were gospel preachers, one now in eternity, one continuing to live and to serve the Lord. There comes a point in time when we must say goodbye to those that we love. Some of us, we have said goodbye to those that we love. In verses six through eight of 2 Timothy chapter four, we have the apostle Paul in essence, saying goodbye to Timothy, his own son in the faith. As we look at verses six through eight, there are three things I want to call your attention to. First of all, let's think together about Paul's imminent death, his farewell. Sometimes we hear about singers or bands that are on their farewell tour. Well, this is Paul's farewell tour. He's saying goodbye. And there are two things that Paul does, I think, in verse 6 in writing to Timothy. First of all, Paul instructs Timothy about his duties. Look back at verse 1. In verse 1, here is the Apostle Paul. He's coming to the close of life. And so here's what he tells Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's interesting to me that here is the Apostle Paul facing death. And in the face of death, he would tell Timothy, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. Why do you think that was? I think the reason that Paul said you keep preaching the word is because even in death, those whom we leave behind 
They have work to do. In other words, the work has to go on. Think about some of the great preachers and teachers and mentors that you have known down through the, through the years. Think about those that taught you in Bible class, those that made a great impression on you in the church. Some may now be in eternity. And yet what, what had to occur? Well, the work had to go on, didn't it? There will come a day, if the Lord wills, that this congregation will be filled with all new people. This congregation, at some point in time in the future, will have different men serving as elders. They will have, this congregation will have different men serving as deacons. They will have different men serving as preachers, song leaders. Different men and women will serve in various capacities, teaching. The point is, people come and people go, but the work has to go on. And that was the case, I think, under these circumstances. Then there is a second thing. Paul, first of all, says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. So first of all, he instructs Timothy about his duties. Why? Because death is imminent. But then he informs him about his departure. Listen again, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. The word departure here, it's an interesting term. And it really carries a couple of ideas. The first would be under the figure of somebody taking down a tent. I think about somebody who goes to camp, they set up a tent, and then when the time comes to leave, what do they do? They take that tent down. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul would talk about the earthly body. And he said, if the earthly house, this earthly body be dissolved, or if this earthly tent be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. And then there is a second figure that is used, and that is the idea of somebody out at sea and they hoist the anchor and set sail. So when we talk about death, really what happens is we're on one side of the shore and we are crossing over to the other side of the shore. Sometimes you'll hear people use the expression, I'm gonna cross the Jordan. What they're saying is death is coming. Now, Paul knew that death was imminent. He understood that. Did you know that the moment we are born into this world, we begin to die. Oh, I know that we grow and mature and we continue to, to grow through the years, but look at the physical body. It peaks and then what happens? Well, the physical body begins to deteriorate. It begins to age. Solomon talks about man going to his long-awaited home. Here's what Job said, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble in Job 14 at verse one. So Paul here talks about his imminent departure. You and I, we do not know when we're gonna die. For some, it might be because they've been told they have a terminal illness. They know death is on the horizon. I talked to a friend of mine this past week whose father has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. 
The doctors have said he may live a few weeks. It might be several months. It might possibly be up to two years. But one thing is certain, he's dying. Well, Paul knew that he was going to die at the hands of Nero Caesar. But now I want you to look at verse 7. We talk about his imminent death, but then note, if you would, his invincible dedication. When I think about the life of the Apostle Paul, there are a lot of words that, comes, that come to mind. One of, the, one of the words that, to me, helps to define this man, faithfulness. Paul was a man of great faith, and he was a man of faithfulness. He was a man of intense dedication. Look at his life. Look at everywhere he went, preaching and teaching and facing heartache and humiliation and trials and deprivations. What did he do? He just kept plugging on. So we think about his great dedication. We, we talk about the life of the Apostle Paul. There are a couple of things here. First of all, I want you to consider with me his triumphant fight. Listen to, listen to what he says in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. He said, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. First of all, Paul understood he was involved in a fight. It is a spiritual fight. We are involved in spiritual warfare. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 at verse 12, Paul would say, fight the good fight of faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 at about verse 3, he would talk about enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In this fight, inherent in his spiritual warfare, there were some things that he had to face. First of all, note if you would, his battles. Look back at chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what he said to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul had a lot of battles in life. And if you go back and you look at the historical account of the first century church in the book of Acts, it seemed like Paul went from city to city, from persecution to persecution. His life was, was literally filled with trials and afflictions. And yet he would say, the Lord delivered me out of all these things. So he had a lot of battles in life. A lot of highs and lows, a lot of good times and bad times. But then note, if you would, his burdens. Paul's life was not exempt from burdens. Not only did he face physical hardship, but listen very carefully, there were some people in the life of Paul that let him down. How do I know that? Well, go back to chapter 4, verse 10. In chapter 4, verse 10, here's what Paul said, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed for Thessalonica. So here was a man that at one time had been a co-laborer of the Apostle Paul. He had been a fellow servant. He had been somebody that no doubt had ministered 
with the Apostle Paul. And now what has he done? He's left the faith. He's left the fold. He's left serving with the Apostle Paul. So what a great disappointment. Then look at verse 14. In verse 14, he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Alexander the cop coppersmith. I'm not sure exactly what he had done to him, but no doubt this weighed heavily on his heart. And then verse 16. Paul now talks about a trial that he faced. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So here Paul brings to mind three examples of some of the burdens that he felt in this life. In other words, here were people, some of which no doubt were members of the body of Christ, and they had let him down. And yet, he had remained triumphant in his fight. And then note, if you would, his blessings. We talk about his battles, his burdens, but what about his blessings? Well, back in chapter 3, when he talked about the persecutions and afflictions that he faced at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, he said, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Drop down now and look at verse 17 of chapter 4. In light of those that had forsaken Paul, those that had let him down, here's what he would say, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so despite the hardships and the difficulties that he faced in his Christian fight, one of the blessings that he enjoyed, God stood with him. As he said, the Lord delivered me and will continue to deliver me until I arrive safely on the other side. Now I want you to look back at verse 7 again. Think about, if you would, his triumphant finish. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When you look at the life of Paul, here's, here's the key. Despite all the obstacles and hardships and trials and difficulties that he faced in this life, Paul could say, look, I'm in this thing until the very end. He was triumphant. Paul saw the finish line and he made sure he crossed it. Is that not what the Lord wants from all of us? To be faithful until death? Now I want you to think about this for just a minute. Paul is going to lose his life at the hands of Nero Caesar. Some would say that the Apostle Paul was beheaded in about A.D. 68. And here's the Apostle Paul, and he is staring death in the face. He knows he is not going to get out of this thing alive. He understands the end is near. He doesn't quit. He doesn't cast his faith aside but rather he stays faithful until the very end. 
Here's what Jesus said. Be faithful unto death. If you look at Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, what Jesus said in that context is this. You be faithful even if it costs you your life. And if you look at the people who lived during the latter part of the first century, you'll find that many Christians were martyred for their faith. Domitian was on the throne in the latter part of the first century. He wanted to be addressed as Lord and God. We talk about emperor worship. So here was the challenge. You could worship the emperor. You could acknowledge the Caesar as Lord and God and stay alive. You could acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and God, and guess what? It'll cost you your life. There were no deathbed recantations in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was true to the very end. And that's what he wants from us. So, when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you have, you have to admire his life. So we, we, we talk about the fact that Paul is coming to the end of the road. Death is near. And so with that in mind, I want you to now look at verse 8. As we look at verse 8, there is one thing I want you to consider with me. His inheritance declared. Here's what he said, verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There are a lot of ways that, that we could go with this verse. I think about his great fortune. I think about his future. Paul had a future before him. I understand death was imminent. He was coming to the end of the road here on planet earth. But listen, just because death comes does not mean that signals the end. If anything, it's a new beginning. Death is the corridor that leads us from planet earth to eternity. And Paul knew that he was about to step out into eternity. So first of all, consider with me, if you would, his confidence. Two things here. First of all, his confidence. I want to ask you this question. In the face of death, how confident are you? What if you were to go to a physician this week and he or she were to tell you, I've got bad news. You have a terminal illness. Would you be afraid? Would you be scared? How would you react? Would you shed tears? Would you be thankful that, hey, this is the end of the road. I'm done with earth. I'm going home. There are a lot of people that when it comes to death, to just be very honest, they're scared. They're fearful. I remember when I was just a boy, I guess I was probably about nine. My grandmother's sister was dying and she was in the hospital. 
And my mother told me that the family had called the preacher to come to the hospital. And my reaction was, why do they need a preacher? And my mother said, because when people die, sometimes they, they get scared. Well, my grandmother's sister was a faithful Christian. And just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we do not get scared in the face of death. Sometimes there are a lot of fears. Sometimes we fear leaving behind our family members. What will become of them? We're fearful about the plight of, of the church and other things. And then there is the fear of the unknown. We've never experienced death. We've never stepped outside this physical body. And so there is the fear of what, what's out there. But I want you to look at what Paul said. Here's Paul staring death in the eyes. And he said, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. To me, there is tremendous confidence. There is, if you please, courage here. I know death is coming, but look, there's something that is out there waiting for me. Now go back and look at what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There is a key word there, we know. How did Paul know that? Because of revelation. How do we know what's beyond this veil of tears? Revelation. Every time I read and study the Bible, I'm reading the mind of God that has been revealed unto me. And so I can read about heaven. I can read about eternity. I can read about that place called paradise. And I know it's just as real as the world in which I live today. When Paul wrote to the saints in Philippi, he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. Here's what John said. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Look, I may not understand everything about paradise. I can't draw you a literal picture of what it'll be like, but I know this, it's real. And I know that God who created the heavens and the earth and the beauty of this world, I know that the God who did all of that has waiting for me an eternal abiding place. We ought to be confident and courageous when we come to the end of life here on planet Earth. When I leave this world, I want to leave with confidence. The apostle Peter, in writing to the saints in the first century, said that we have an inheritance. It is undefiled. It fades not away, he said, it is reserved in heaven for you. Listen, I made reservations a long time ago. I hope you've made reservations. And, and the point is this. Once we make those reservations, we keep on keeping on until the very end. And when we come to the end of this, this life here on planet Earth, we can boldly look death in the eyes.
and say we're ready for the next world. Secondly, not only was there confidence, but there was a crown awaiting him. Listen to what he says. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's saying, look, when I get to the end of life, when I stand before the righteous judge, there's going to, to be given to me the Stephanos, the victor's crown. He's really taking us back to the ancient Olympic Games where the victor would, would receive a crown. The crown that they received was a perishable crown. This crown is imperishable. Do you remember what James said? Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Jesus said, be faithful until death. I will give unto you the crown of life, the Stephanos, the victor's crown. So we can be confident, we can be courageous, because we know that there is waiting for us a crown of righteousness. This past week, During the past few days, I've had the opportunity to talk to different people. I told you about the friend of mine whose father has terminal cancer. He's dying. I do not know when the end will be for me or you for that matter. But unless the Lord delays his coming, death will come to all of us, whether young or old. And so when we come to the end of the road here and it's time for us to say our goodbyes, let me ask this question. What's, what's really going to be most important? Is it going to be how much money we leave our family members? Is it going to be important what kind of assets we leave behind? Let me tell you what's going to be important. What's going to be important is our standing with God and our spiritual legacy. I want to go out of this life having lived faithfully. I want to have so run the Christian race so that I, like Paul, can say, I've fought that good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here's what you need to do. Believe that he's the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew Chapter 10, verse 32. And then be baptized so that every sin can be washed away. Acts 22, 16. If you'll do that, you'll be well on your way to that home called heaven. If you're here and you're not faithful, could we pray with you and for you? We believe that God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.